0: How many of you ever had a chance to see uh, Frank Capra's fantastic classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life? (laughs) All right, boy, I expected to see more hands. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have never seen this this movie? This needs to be on your bucket list. This is going to come up. This is going to be on during the holiday season uh, to come. And you do not want to miss this. One of my very favorite scenes in the movie it happens very early on, when the main character, a guy by the name of George Bailey, played by that great classic actor Jimmy Stewart, uh, is having a conversation with his girlfriend Mary, uh, and he, uh, the woman who will eventually become his his wife, and uh, and. Uh, In this story, or in this segment of the story, George is describing the extraordinary life that he's going to have as he escapes this very mundane, small life and small town in which he feels he's gotten trapped. And this is what he says, and I just want to quote it. Mary said, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that, I'm going to leave this little town far behind and I'm going to see the world, Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'll go to college and I'll see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'll build a bridge a mile long. Many of us resonate with that passion that we hear in this character's uh, vision for his future. And I think if I were to to take a microphone and have the time to go around and and really have a conversation uh, with each and every one of you about how you feel when you're young, many of you would tell a story of having aspirations uh, in some form a little bit like that of George Bailey. We want to do extraordinary things when we start out in life. We do not want our lives to be ordinary. And and we come by that instinct not only because we are made to do creative things by God, but because we live in a culture that is constantly shaping us in that particular direction. We're conditioned by our world to think of success, personal success, in terms of, of big, bold, brash, beautiful activities and accomplishments in life. God forbid that we should ever get stuck in the world of the commonplace, a lot of us feel, of the merely ordinary. Uh, We want to escape the commonplace. We want to transform the commonplace. We want to transcend the commonplace, if at all possible. And thus we go about trying to design our own lives to be this exceptional, extraordinary kind of experience and influence. For many of us, however, as for George Bailey in this uh, particular film, uh, life uh, turns out a little differently than we sometimes envision at the start. You know, you've heard the statement that life is what happens when you've made other plans, right? Well, that's to the experience that a whole lot of us have over, over the course of the journey. It turns out in the story of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, George actually doesn't really have a clue what his life's going to be like. You know, he doesn't even really know what's going to happen tomorrow uh, in, in the story uh, because stuff happens in George's life the way it does in our lives. And it turns out that what he does tomorrow is going to bear a striking resemblance to what he has been doing today. Uh, it will not be exceptional. It will not be, in, in, in the terms that he's looking for, uh, extraordinary. George's life is going to made up, be made up of a whole lot of very ordinary things. He's going to get a job and he's going to raise a, a family and he's going to mow the lawn and he's going to deal with crisis and he's going to have to manage money. And he's going to try and counsel friends and he's going to go through all of these things and he's going to watch a whole bunch of other people that he sees out there doing the big, bold, brash, beautiful things. And he ends up feeling at times like his life is going nowhere, like it's not a significant life at all, like he's he's missed the moment. Uh, what he was really made to do. And life is just, real life has just passed him by. And it's not until George gets the eyes of heaven at the end of the story, and it's worth watching just to see what vision he eventually develops. It's not until the very end that George will come to see that ordinary, that the ordinary is often more than it seems. That the ordinary... The ordinary and commonplace is often um, laden with a meaning and a potential and an ultimate influence larger than it than it seems to hold. I want you to hold on to that idea, okay? I want you to try and take that big idea into yourself as we have this conversation today. And I want to color it in if I can uh, by just suggesting a few ideas. The first one is this. The commonplace is what we're going to value in the end. What we're going to value the most in the end of our at the end of our life is not the big bold brash and beautiful stuff. It's going to be the commonplace stuff that we'll value at the end. It's going to be fine to dream and, and uh, of dazzling people, of accomplishing great goals that God wants us to aspire, but it, at the end of the day it will be much more ordinary things that will turn out to matter. A great deal. I just love how this gets illustrated in the final story from the life of Moses that we're going to look at in this series. And this one is found in Exodus chapter 16. You might enjoy opening up in your Bibles to this particular text, but I I want to invite you to listen to what Exodus 16 says. I want to read it, read it for us. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day, of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. I want you to notice that part especially. It was on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Why, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How many of you have been on family vacations like this? Your kids are saying... You know, this is killing us. Why have you brought us here? Uh, I love that story because it's so ordinary, if you think about it, right? This is a commonplace encounter. But, but I like this story also because if you look more deeply at the text, it will take you deeper into a level of meaning that I think is relevant to us all. Two and a half months ago, two and a half months before this encounter, the Israelites were slaves. <laughs> they were slaves in Egypt. They lived in bondage. They had nothing that we would associate with vitality and success. Nothing we'd think of in terms of, uh, of defining a desirable life. They did not have opportunity to go to the college of their choice or to do the jobs that they might have been gifted for. They didn't have the freedom to express their will or pursue their dreams. They did not live in big houses. They did not drive nice camels. Um, they, they just did not have a great life. In many ways, of the world might d- d- uh, describe greatness. Um, they mainly made bricks. Um, they were, were construction workers or they, were, they did menial chores in the households of the Egyptians and they followed instructions. That was the life that the Israelites had. That was the, the day-to-day life. But now they're out of all that. Okay? They've been released from, from bondage. They're out on their way towards the promised land. And guess what? Two and a half months into the journey, they're nostalgic for Egypt want to go back to Egypt. Why? What's creating this nostalgia? Well, this is what they said. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. That's what they're thinking as they're in the middle of the wilderness. You know, back in Egypt, despite all the tough stuff that went with our lives, we enjoyed these dependable, wonderful, simple, common goods we had food pots of meat to eat and we could sit around together and eat it and we could enjoy a moment of rest and refreshment together amidst our labors The Israelites had cried out to God for release from the circumstances of Egypt and all that went with it as appropriately they should have called for a release from this unjust bondage but now that they have it it's the commonplace meals they long for but they wish they could go back And reclaim. I have seen this pattern again and again in my own life and in the lives of a lot of people I know. Maybe you have too. Um, I I, I meet with a, a group of young, busy professionals, right? And they are just, I mean, their lives are frantic and full. And they um, are—they have hair on fire lives. They're—they are successful in all kinds of way. They're managing, spinning plates everywhere. They have a great—but what they're nostalgic for is that day they used to live in one room, when all it took was a pizza and a six pack of beer, or a little more maybe, to be happy. (laughs) Right? Just to feel this simple, commonplace gift of fellowship and simple food in a tiny room. And they've been spending their lives chasing after all this other stuff. And they're nostalgic for that. You see, you see it in the life of parents sometimes, right? You think, oh my gosh, the day is going to come when the kids are out of the house. And man, it is going to be Freedom Day. It's going to be, we're going to run around naked in the house and not care. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. And then the kids are gone. And there's good things about that. It's a new season of life. But nostalgia begins to kick up. And we think back to those days when the kids were walking around in Halloween costumes, Right? And you get misty eyed as you remember that commonplace, simple good that we enjoyed and maybe didn't fully count uh, the value of. I see that in older people uh, who are nostalgic for the days when they could walk without pain. Imagine that. I mean, get, that's gonna, that day's coming for you and me. Some of us are close to it or in it already when we're just nostalgic for the day when we could just get up and we weren't in discomfort. And we just counted on the commonplace blessing of relative health. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that whether you're rich or poor, black or white, or um, Republican or Democrat, or Cubs or Mets, um, <laughs> um, it's it's what theologians have called common grace that we value the most in the end, or at least um, it's one of the things we value the most in the end. It's the ability to breathe unlabored. It's the ability to sing, to make music. It's the touch of the hand on our shoulder, the feel of the sun on our face. It's the laughter of children. It's the simple predictability of of being able to get up under our own power, turn on the faucet and have clean water come out, do some kind of meaningful work in some way. These are just the everyday commonplace gifts whose value we don't know until they're gone. And they go. They go. Sooner or later, we let go of it all. And sometimes we just get going so fast in this life. I'm, this is me confessing. I'm not pointing a finger. I, I get going so fast sometimes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in my own wilderness. I'm distracted by all I don't have and what I feel I need. And I, I miss out on the good, uh, the simple common good uh, that, that God, God has put around me. I love how the story goes on and describes how God responds to this uh, Grumbling of the Israelites and uh, they're wishing they could get back to Egypt and they're miserable out there in the desert and The Lord said to Moses. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. You know, God hears our grumbling Doesn't mean that he always gives us exactly what we're grumbling for, but in this case God hears it Um, and he says tell them at twilight you will eat meat And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And the scripture says that evening, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And uh, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, these thin flakes like frost, I've always thought them like frosted flakes, um, on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? And the literal word in the Aramaic, Hebrew Aramaic, for what is it, is the word manna. Manna. What is it? For they did not know what it was. So I think it was Frosted Flakes or it was some version of donuts, which is why we serve them here and are going to keep on doing that. But Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Give us this day our daily bread provide the commonplace graces we need to go on through the journey. Now I want to be sure that all of us soak this part of the story in because later on in the passage, we're told that that God didn't just do this once. Uh, He did this again and again for 40 years. The scripture says God every day produced the manna for them, provided the manna for them and the quail at night. In fact, in the uh, version of this story that uh, is told in the book of Numbers, uh, we're told of an incident in which a uh, massive, a massive flock of quail came. Uh, so much so that it, it uh, stacked up, the, all the quail on the ground stacked up to the equivalent of in cubits of three feet high and in every direction that you could walk for a day. And uh, Mark Batterson, a pastor in Washington, D.C., did the math on this. And he said he figured that, it, that just doing the simple volumetric calculation, that we're talking about 105 million quail. He calls it a quail quailmageddon, right? <laughs> so the big idea here is, 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 is that God is not stingy, okay? He provides massive grace daily. That's the big idea in this, in this particular s- story. Um. But how long do you think it takes for the Israelites to start taking that for granted? To just figuring out, this is just sort of natural. This just sort of happens by itself. How long before they stop being thankful about it? How long before their attention shifts from gratitude for the provision they had to focus on all the stuff they don't have? Right? How long did it take Adam and Eve in the garden surrounded by bounty to focus on the thing they didn't have? Right? And this is what happens again and again to human beings. This is what happens to me, this is what happens to you. Life comes to feel like a wilderness at times. And and you may be in that place right now. You may have walked in here today feeling very much like this is you're in the wilderness. And uh, there's a lot that's missing for you. Uh, but if you have the eyes to see, I believe you are going to notice that you still have a lot of commonplace gifts that God has provided for the purpose of encouraging you, just as he did for the Israelites, of encouraging you to keep going, to not give up, to know that he is with you, and 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 to give you the strength that you need. Uh, to, to continue on until you cross that river into the land of promise uh, that he has for you. Uh, and I hope even the fellowship this morning, even the little bit of meat and bread that you're getting here today will be part of that process of encouragement for you. So here's my first question for you today. What is it that you've been given? What is it that you have been given in the way of commonplace grace? Can you name it? Can you list it? Can you describe it to the other people you'll be with later today? Do you value that now, those things on that list now? Do you value them as I promise you, you will one day when they're slipping away, uh, when they're gone? Um, Are you letting the commonplace goods of your life design your heart, shape your life uh, with gratitude, with hope, with a sense of generosity towards other people? In the way that God intends these graces to do for you. That's my first big idea here. There, there's a second role that the commonplace plays in our life that I want to also think about with you. The commonplace is where our character is both revealed and refined. Okay? It's both expressed and expanded in some sense. Uh, we are increasingly, I know, conditioned by the culture. Uh, around us to think that uh, the most important moments of li- life are on the camera. Um, they are the—that's uh, the, the effect of a celebrity culture, a social media culture—is we increasingly think that it's it's the it's the uh, it's the selfie stick-worthy moments of life, or the big action hero events and players that that, that constitutes significance. And we get to thinking as a result of this that what we do in private. Um, or the little exchanges, the tiny transactions, the, 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 you know, the wee conversations, these things don't matter. I mean, these things are not history making. These don't really count. Uh, My my friend, Reggie McNeil, um, describes an experience he had when he was uh, in the early stages of his life. He was newly married to his wife, Kathy. And um, I guess on one particular occasion, Kathy was um, bringing groceries in to feed their young family. They lived in an apartment building. They lived way up. They they, they, they could only afford to live in a sort of high apartment, and they did not have an elevator. And Kathy is trying to get the kids and the groceries out of the car and take them upstairs. And a kind, gentle stranger comes by and says, let me help you with that. And uh, much to her incredible relief, uh, he takes all these bags of groceries, and he pretty much carries them all the way up three flights of stairs and, um, and leaves them uh, at her apartment. Right and, and she asks for his name, and he gives her the name, and, and uh, the, the two go their, their separate ways. Um, years later, many years later, um, Kathy and Reggie McNeil are ready to build a house. They've done well in life. They're ready to build a great big house, uh, to house this big family they have. And who do you think they go to find as their building contractor? That same guy. He doesn't remember them. He does not remember that encounter in the apartment stairway. Why? Because offering these acts of kindness to other people was what? Commonplace to him. It was commonplace. But they never forgot it. And that the quality of character that was revealed in his choice to do what he did that day for Kathy became the deciding factor for them in entrusting him with even more. It works that way in God's economy too. Uh, I could give you lesson after lesson from the scriptures on how God looks to see how we handle the little things to determine whether we get entrusted with the larger things. And, and it takes a lot of focus to remember that in a world that's filled with great big things and gigantic numbers and huge happenings of various kinds. When, when Moses makes this little decision that he does, you remember the story from, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, when uh, Moses is uh, sitting by the well and these girls come by and they're shepherding their flock and a bunch of surly shepherds show up and they start harassing the women. And Moses steps up and says, hey, none of that. You know, when Moses did that, he had no idea that made any difference, really, at that moment. He was just doing what seemed like the right thing. When, when he's out there later in the in the wilderness shepherding sheep of his own, and I've been a shepherd, I worked a couple of months, um, a year, when I was in Northern Ireland for a few years, and I would work on a sheep and dairy farm. Sheep are not nice; they're not lovely creatures. You don't want them as your pets. They smell; they're not bright. But he's out there working with the sheep, right uh, in the wilderness, and. Uh, You know, does he think, does he recognize that that learning how to shepherd them and protect them from danger and read the signs of the weather and learn to find food in the terrain of the wilderness, do you think this commonplace stuff is going to amount to anything? Chances are, no. It's drudgery. It's the daily ordinary drudgery of life. Is it important that he's got these skills building? You bet it's preparing him to lead an entire nation, a huge flock through the wilderness later in his life. All these commonplace things are testing and tempering him to become the shepherd of a whole nation. Uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say is the great leader Moses, like most great leaders, are not made in the moment when the cameras are on them. You know, it's not, it, it's not in the moment it, on the top of the mountain mountain of God, when he's getting the 10 commandments that Moses has made. It's not when Moses is standing up to Pharaoh, that Moses is made. It's not when he's uh, leading the million man march to the wilderness out of uh, Egypt, that Moses is made. Moses is made in those tiny commonplace interactions and choices that, that are leading up to those larger events. And what God did in Moses's life, he tried to do in the whole life of Israel. It was his same, He has the same plan for us all. Uh, his ammo has not changed. So there's this interesting little tidbit in the story about the manna because God gives these very specific instructions. He says, I want you to, to handle the manna this way. I want you to do this with it and not do that with it. And, and you look at it and you go, well, why is God being so piddling and so per- particular? And the answer is he's just trying to teach the Israelites to obey him in the little things. Because if they can learn to obey him in the little things... They're going to become more and more able to hear his voice and follow his will when it really gets challenging as they enter the land of Canaan ahead. There are no insignificant acts of obedience. I think that's where it lands on this, this idea. There just are no insignificant ones. Um, the every commonplace moment, the conversations, the choices, the way you spend money, all these little things, they both reveal and refine Uh, Potentially, who you are. And and so each of these encounters put down, in a sense, concrete peers of character uh, upon which uh, the larger structure of your character, of your family, of your business, of your uh, influence in the community uh, gets built. And if you don't put down those peers of character, you can't build. Uh, A skyscraper out of them, right? You just can't. And those things have to be done, hammering in, inch at a time, uh, into the good ground uh, of character. So here's my second question for you. What is it? What is it that you will face this week that will give you a chance to express or expand your character? Um... Will it be that transaction, that financial business transaction, where I could, eh, could shade it a bit in my favor and not be scrupulously honest? W- will it be when I am faced with a choice about whether I express a humble contrition when I'm in the wrong or spin it and defend myself instead of looking at kind of where I, I messed up? Will it be when I'm faced with the, the choice about forgiving this person or just being ticked off and, and uh, vengeful or passive-aggressive towards them? Will it be when I take a courageous step in the face of my fears or, or my addictions or just slot back into them, kind of rest back into them? Will it be when I persevere in keeping my word when it's suddenly gotten a whole lot harder to do it because the circumstances have changed? Will that be the moment, the commonplace moment that will really count? Will I show compassion or hospitality uh, where the cameras are not watching me where nobody will see what I've done? Uh, Will I turn this off so I can tune into that instead? Will I treat this wilderness period that I may be walking in right now, not as a dead end, not as a detour, but actually as an essential part of the preparation through the little commonplace acts of obedience that are getting me ready for something I can't yet see? How will you deal with the commonplace? What is it that will get presented to you as an opportunity uh, in this way? As we um, wrap up the series today, I want to uh, observe something else about this. Um, It is by laying ourselves down on the altar of the commonplace that we ultimately rise up to the level of the extraordinary. It is by stooping that we go up. Jesus models this, right? He models this for us. Um, So look for the altar out there in your life in the days ahead. Just keep looking for that. The commonplace is what we're going to value in the end. So why not value it now? The commonplace is where character gets revealed and refined. So why not seize the opportunities it offers now? And finally, understand that the commonplace is often a pointer to a far from common kind of God and kingdom. At the end of his book, A Work of Heart, uh, Reggie McNeil, this man I, whose story in the apartment I told you about, is, um, reflects uh, on just a single day of his life. And I want to share this with you as we move towards a close. He says, I'm writing this chapter while I'm on a trip away from home. The last 24 hours have been uneventful. They have been commonplace. They have been commonplace. Yet, I have seen God, especially as I have reflected back over time. I saw a son squealing with delight when his dad jumped in the hotel pool to play with him. And my mind flashed on the wonder of it all. There's going to come a day when pain is passing... And, and everything is washed over and um, laughter is eternal. And I just caught a glimpse of it today. Uh, I saw two lovers hugging as they walked together on a scenic path as they lost were lost to everything but each other for a moment. I saw a group of friends enjoying dinner together in a restaurant. I saw others celebrating the birth of a new baby and it reminded me of the truth that I'm always tempted to lose that relationships are at the center of the universe. It's these relationships that matter, and I must work. I must work to hold on to them and build them. I saw a tiny bird snatching a morsel of food that was left behind as as just garbage in a parking lot, and I thought, ah, his eye is on the sparrow. What Jesus said, his eye is on the sparrow. Maybe his eye is on me too. Maybe he's watching over me right now. Or Or I think to myself as I'm eating, this dinner is good. And I thank God for turkeys. You know, I thank God for turkeys. I miss you, Dad, my daughter said over the phone. And I think one day we will not have to leave where we are to go home. From my mountain view, I could see the lights of the city come up as the sun went down. And I remembered the promise of the scriptures that there is a city whose builder and maker is God. And we're going there together. We're going there together. So what is it? This is my third and last question. What is it? In the experiences you'll have this week, the commonplace things can can point you to the glory. The glory of who God is and what his kingdom is like. Uh, We can see now that that even the story of the manna is just one of those pointers. Right? This, This manna that God provided day in and day out, this daily bread that he gave them, Uh, It wasn't just a common grace. It was a signpost to an even more amazing kind of grace. And and the Bible says that following his feeding of the the 5,000, Jesus was being chased after by people who saw him as just a fast food provider, kind of like another prophet like Moses was. But Jesus told them that they were underestimating what he had come to do for them. And this is what Jesus says. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on the bread I will give them will live forever. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread. I am the bread. I've always, even in the commonplace, in the breaking of bread, in the lifting of the cup, I've been your source your life, your hope. Come unto me. That's his invitation today. It all resolves right there. The commonplace is simply a portal of invitation to come to the one who wants to design our lives for flourishing and to enable us to be agents of flourishing for the lives of others. And if you have a heart to go on that journey, to let him shape you in deeper ways, Then join with me as we come before God together in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Great God, we thank you that in your infinite love and mercy, you do take care to give shape and meaning to our lives. As we seek to cooperate with that in the days ahead, we ask you to help us to reflect on the culture in which you've set us, and the calling that you've given to us. We pray that you'll give us the courage we need to embrace the lessons that even conflict teaches us. Give us a passion to pursue the communion that you offer to us and spur our commitment to build the community that is so essential to our well-being and that of others. And as we go forth today, give us eyes for all of the ways you are waiting out there to meet us In the commonplace. For we pray in the name of the one shepherd, the one carpenter, who even in working with ordinary things, brought salvation and hope to this world. We pray in the name of Christ and all God's people said, amen.